0: The wonderful thing about the church here is that it it takes us through the the drama of salvation, and there are those among us in my profession who believe that you should not sing Christmas carols before Christmas, and that Advent is a time for waiting, just like the little song my daughter learned in her Lutheran preschool, Advent is a time for waiting, not a time for celebrating. (laughs) Anyway, you can see that I have boldly defied that notion today. And it's because really every Sunday is an opportunity to celebrate both the birth, the death, and the resurrection, or all three, the the resurrection and also the ascension of Jesus. And so there is uh, almost no better hymn with which to do that than Isaac Watts' Joy to the World, which actually wasn't written as a Christmas carol. It was something that was a general hymn of praise uh, about the the accomplishment of the salvation in, in Jesus Christ. And so here ends my liturgical exposition for the morning. But we start a new sermon series today called Tidings of Comfort and Joy, based on Isaiah 40 to 55. And this series grows out of a discussion that I had with myself that I've told you about several times over the last year. The summer before I announced my retirement, I Pretty much asked myself the question if I had just one year to preach what would I want to preach and I think it was the reason why I gave more than a year's notice on uh, my retirement because this text Isaiah 40 to 55 was the thing that rose to the top of the list immediately and became the obvious thing with which I wanted to end so we're going to be spending 11 weeks in Isaiah 40 to 55 looking at at its message and the correlation of its message to the journey of faith and finding in it the songs that we sing to sustain ourselves along this journey. It's a book that begins with comfort, an announcement of comfort, and ends with a celebration of joy in Isaiah 55. And today uh, we begin with Isaiah 40 verses one through 11, a very familiar passage to us and it kind of shows you how this is a playlist that accompanies it's a good introductory text to show how the whole book is a playlist that accompanies our journey of faith and so let's look at this word of comfort that comes in these first 11 verses of Isaiah 40 comfort Oh comfort my people says your God Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to hear that she has served her turn, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock, Like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. Let's pray. Lord, help us to breathe a sigh of relief and relax into the comfort of this word and allow that assurance to equip us To move out on the journey to which you call us for we pray in jesus name amen Amen. so whether it's in my work with new pastors or just my experience as a pastor over the years one of the lessons or the the lines that i always hear and have said to myself especially in my early years of ministry is they didn't teach us this in seminary and that's because I've learned that you learn to be a pastor by being a pastor. You can get some tools that you can bring with you from your trip through seminary but your teachers in how to be a pastor are really the people of your congregations in in which you serve. And there were two important teachers to me that I I want to reference here right at the beginning who taught me about a ministry of consolation and comfort in times of grief. Both of them were mothers whose sons had died. Two mothers who endured the deaths of their sons, one mother of a 28-year-old son who had committed suicide and one mother of a three-year-old son who died of cancer after having half of his life from 18 months to three years been characterized by a, a pretty amazingly awful treatment for that cancer. I remember one of them saying this, people's, First words to me are usually some version of, I can't imagine what this must feel like. And she replied to this as she told me this encounter that she had with so many people. She says, I've started to say this, well, don't. Don't even begin to try to imagine it because you cannot believe how awful it is. And I don't want you to have to experience it. You don't want to feel it so just don't worry about imagining it. Just be with me right now and tell me and show me that you love me and I hope you never have to know what it feels like. It's a lesson in the truth that the most comforting or consoling thing is really nothing more and nothing less than presence, quiet presence. In fact, that word comfort or consolation in the scriptures in Greek means literally to come alongside, paraklesis, and in Hebrew, can mean something like to give forth sighs, to just expel air, literally, in sadness, in the presence of the one who's grieving. And Isaiah 40 begins with a word of comfort to those who are in the midst of grief. The whole book, 40 to 55, is really a book of comfort And it's spoken to people who are nearing the end of that 70-year exile that took place in Babylon and anticipating a return to Jerusalem. They're now anticipating that return home as the prophet speaks to them. But they're anticipating a different home than they left, in some ways a desolate place. A place where there is no there there anymore, and a place that will need to be rebuilt. And the prophet was called by God to bring a word of consolation, a word of comfort to these people. And that word really comprises. The essence, God's invitation to bring this word of comfort is what comprises the essence of our text this morning. And I want to just land briefly, touch down briefly on four words or four concepts that are in this call to give comfort that I think give us information about where this book will go, but also information about what is true for our lives always while we are on this journey of faith. And it helps us, these four notions or these four words help us to understand the kind of comfort that God brings to us. So the first word in understanding comfort is just that word comfort, uh, consolation, presence, that joining in the size of another, if you will, that coming alongside, that Paul's talking about in the passage that I read right up front this morning. And what that comfort is primarily is God saying, in spite of everything, I have not rejected you. So go tell the people of Judah, go tell the people of Judah that I am still with them. Go speak tenderly to Jerusalem because their arrogance, their stupidity, their sin that got them into this mess in the first place. They need to know that it's not the last word. If there's a price that needed to be paid for creating this mess, then they've clearly paid it. So go speak tenderly to them. It's reflective of those same lines in the 11th chapter of Hosea where the where God says of his people, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I turn you over to destruction? I can't, because I'm God and not human. I'm the holy one in your midst, and I have not come to destroy. So comfort is that first word, and it is God basically saying I haven't gone anywhere. And I've been with you through all of this and will continue to be with you. I will come alongside. I will share in your size. I will know where you are and what you are doing. I will continue to love you. That's the the comfort that is being sung about here. The second notion that's here is wilderness. It's one of the most important places or identified points in the scriptures. Wilderness is the place where a lot of stuff happens in the Old and and New Testaments. Literally in Hebrew it just means uninhabited place. A place where there is no there there as I've said. a, A sense of feeling more the absence of things than the presence of things a sense of the absence of God, a sense of the absence of place, the sense of the absence of home. It's the uninhabited place, it's nowhere. It's the place where also there is no sign of God's presence. But ironically in the scriptures, when all of that is stripped away, it is the place where God's people hear God's voice most clearly. It's the place where Israel encounters and becomes closer to and more dependent on God. Wilderness is the presence of an absence and that is a great description as well as what we experience in grief, especially the grief over the loss of one whom we've loved and suddenly we experience just this presence of an absence. He or she is no longer in this space and every time we come to a space where we used to have an awareness of that person's presence or we have a memory of being with that person after they have died, we kind of come to that awareness of a presence of an absence. Oh, they're not not here with me anymore. And we go through that grief once more. It's the place where we ask God, where are you? And so many of the Psalms are written in this wilderness of exile or this wilderness of abandonment of some kind. But as I said, it's also the place where it's almost easier to hear God's voice and where we want to know that God is with us somehow to deliver us. And so we're prepared to hear that message. So wilderness is an important part of the journey, both in terms of describing what makes us feel like we're separate from God and also what reconnects us to the presence of the love of God. So comfort, wilderness. The third thing I want to identify is the road, the highway that's spoken of here. The relationship with God is always about a journey, it's never static, it's never having arrived. It's always being in the state of arriving and going deeper into an awareness of who God is going further up and further in as C.S. Lewis describes what heaven is about in the Chronicles of Narnia. We are always on the road when we are on the way of Jesus and that word Exodus the second book in the Old Testament It's the Greek title of Exodus, not the Hebrew title of Exodus, and it means literally the road out, the road toward deliverance. The way out, if you will, and out of Egypt, because that's what the story of Exodus tells. Jesus speaks of himself when he says, I am the way. He essentially says, I'm the Exodus. I'm the road of liberty out of slavery. Follow me and and find that road. And here it's the road, in in Isaiah 40, it's the road that God will build to his people. God will make his way to his people. And the path on which the people will walk and return home is the path of God coming to get them in order to escort them back. And when God shows up, his presence is a, a leveling presence that creates this road. For the mountains are leveled and the valleys are exalted. The way is made clear, not only to meet God, but to have God accompany the people back to their land. And God's presence is literally the road. So finally, the word is the last thing I want to talk about, the message that this prophet is called to preach. And the text is sort of a dialogue between the prophet and God in some ways. It's two different voices, whether it's God and the prophet or the prophet and someone else, but it's an argument about whether or not there's anything to say, quite frankly. A voice says, cry out. One translation that I absolutely love of this text is a voice says, preach. And I said, Isaiah says, what shall I preach? For all flesh is grass. There's nothing left to preach. There's nothing left to point to that's a sign of your, your faithfulness, a sign of your presence. It's all been destroyed. It's like the withering of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. Your breath, O oh God, has blown on us in a way that's been destructive. So what's left to preach? But this prophet is given a word to preach, a word of comfort and and presence, deliverance from the wilderness, this road to life and restoration that's being preached. And he's being told to preach that word in spite of the fact that he's not sure what to preach. And so God responds to all of that and says, you're right, the grass does wither. The flower does fade. But my word lasts forever. It remains untouched by all of this destruction. Something still remains. There's a lot that doesn't, but something still remains. And what still remains is that I am with you to redeem you, to save you, and I won't be going away. The word That God spoke at creation is the word that's still creating is what Isaiah is saying. So go tell them that I am coming. Go tell them that I am already with them and I'm coming with might. But look at the way that might is characterized right at the end of the text. It's characterized as the gentleness of a shepherd who feeds the flock who carries them in his bosom and who gently guides the mother's sheep. I know we're all probably familiar with George Frederick Handel's Messiah, the oratorio, which begins with Isaiah 40, much of Isaiah 41 through 11. I invite you to listen to it because it begins with this very wonderful, gentle, tenor repetition of the word comfort. And it, it just invites us slowly into this awareness that, that the gospel begins with this word, that the story of Jesus begins with this, this divine goal of consolation, of coming alongside, of being with and being in relationship with us. And the tenor's solo voice just gently announces this comfort and the call to the prophet to preach this message of consolation and presence. And my friends, I guess all I wanna say today is that that word, that ministry is the beginning and the end of the gospel. I am with you. I will always be with you, says Jesus, even to the end of the age. That the one who was in the form of God became the babe in the manger. That the lamb who shared our death is also the shepherd who leads us to life. That the glory of the Lord has been revealed because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never extinguish it. Let's pray. Lord help us to relax into your embrace and so find that joyous assurance and confidence building notion that you are with us to redeem us and that you are not going away. Speak into our grief with your presence and tell us again of your love And help us to walk with our heads held high, reflecting the light of that love as we encounter our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.